Hello. You're listening or watching, whichever. I don't know your life. Uh, it's the Masters of Divinity podcast. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here, Father Chuck. And I am bless you, my children. And I'm I am and I am vested. I am in my my my, my black dress, my attire. Yep. Fully presenting myself as a holy man. Showing off, showboating. You know. So that's 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 what the more traditional denominations do. It's just it's all song and dance, right? Like it's Yes, that's all it is. <laughs> that's it. Just like the mega churches. Right. Is exactly. It's just a more depressing song and dance. Like it's more you're you're it's more of a dirge. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We have incense, they have smoke machines. <laughs> Same thing. Nice. They've got lasers, we have candles. <laughs> That's a very good distinction. I mean, just, just choose whichever one you like, you know? Um, Father Chuck, it's so good to see you again. It's good to see you, even after our, our pre-game drama with computers and microphones. Yeah. If anybody wants to donate a Mac Pro to Father Chuck, uh, listen. Leave a comment. We'll, we'll gladly take one. Or, you know, just uh, St. Mary's uh, Episcopal Church, Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, 2062 King Street, um, South King Street. Just uh, just mail it. I'll, I'll happily accept it. Yeah, yeah. Um, nope. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad, this, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I got to get something off of my chest. This has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. But, like, do you ever, like, read something or watch something and you're like, I have to tell everybody about it? Yes, that's how I feel about Godzilla Singular Point. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Well, I just discovered this show called The Sopranos. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> no, I have never heard of <laughs> That's okay. You know, it's it's a weird show to watch when you know like exactly how it's going to end. Um but um it's weird, like you're anticipating it, like it's strange. Uh, but no, I just started watching The Sopranos recently, and a couple of things have stuck out that I feel like we should talk about someday. Oh wait, wait, hold on, you're for real here. No, no, yeah, I am for real. I just started watching oh, The Sopranos. You, I thought you were going to launch into talking about. Um, I think you should leave. That's, I really thought that's what oh, you were about. Oh no, no, no! I did start watching. I think you should leave. I did, and it. Oh my gosh, dude. Last night I laughed so hard I was in pain. I <laughs> you think you it I now, just... watched it last night, but then I was like, "Do I need to watch season one first, or is this one of these things that you... it's just sketch comedy?" Yeah, yeah, it's just sketch comedy. But here's the thing: you don't, but you should only because this the episodes are only like 15 minutes long. It, it's not long at all. Like you can you could bang it all out like in a couple of hours, but like, dude. I, I recommend just diving in because it might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. The the sketches I saw last night, I was in pain with the amount of laughter that was involved. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about The Sopranos, <laughs> which... Which is also a rip-roaring good time, yeah? It, I mean, sometimes it can be. Uh, sort of the genius behind the show is that like you find yourself really loving the characters, but then you're like, "Oh, these people are sociopaths. Like, I shouldn't be loving them so much." Like um, kind of, I guess. I don't know if like if like Seinfeld killed people, like like yeah. straight up just murdered people. 
did. <laughs> well, he didn't. Okay. All right. <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I, I want to say The Sopranos has ruined television for me. Um, because at least prestige television. Because like every single prestige drama that's out there, uh, that's been around or that's been around or is at least out there. Uh, I mean, like Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Boardwalk Empire, Westwood. Maybe not Westwood, because uh, it came out around the same time as Sopranos. But like most, you know, these prestige dramas, they all take cues from Sopranos. Right. It started the whole thing. Like there is so much ripping off. It's unbelievable. Even more genre fare, like The Walking Dead and Battlestar Galactica is taking from the Sopranos. Um and it's it it's ruined it for me. And I I I started noticing that prestige TV had a kind of formula to it before I started watching the Sopranos. And it had already already kind of ruined it. And I started because I started watching a show called Boardwalk Empire a few weeks ago. Um that I thought would be pretty good about prohibition and as someone who works in an industry that's dealing with prohibition right now, I thought I would relate to it a little bit. Turns out I did a little. Um, but I, it just started to kind of get repetitive, and I started to, like, to kind of pick up on this, oh, there's some prestige drama cues that are like really annoying me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch Sopranos instead. And wow. Like, it's just, it's it's ruined TV for me. You know? Uh, it's, it, it, I, it's kind of one of those things, unfortunate when you when you sort of see the formula. Yeah. Cause that, that happened, same thing happened to me with friends. I hate friends. I hate <laughs> that show. Um, and, and it's only be, and I grew up watching it. And I, I mean, I, I, I watched the finale. I mean, it was a big deal, but I hate it because, uh, Chuck Klosterman, the fourth in his book, eating the dinosaur yeah. breaks down every episode's formula. And once I saw it, I can't unsee it. And now I realize <laughs> that it's sort of a hack show. That's not that good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, People, I, I think that's true about like sitcoms in general. I think you could probably even find that in Seinfeld. Sein, I mean, because sitcoms are so formula formula driven, you know. Right. Um, because they're all based on situations, you know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm watching Sopranos and it's blowing me away. I watched an episode last night. After watching, I think you should leave. And like it, it was an episode of television that I, that like I, I can't stop thinking about like what I watched last night, and what this show is saying about like American life. And the thing about gangster gangster movies or TV shows, the best ones aren't really about like the mafia. It's about just American life. And when Francis Ford Coppola made The Godfather. He didn't want to just make like another gangster film. Like the first thing he wanted to do had to be like authentic, authentically Italian American. That's the first thing. Second thing, there had to be some kind of angle to it. It couldn't just be about oh these are gangsters and they're killing each other. How horrible, whatever. But he said that he wanted it to be about capitalism, and that's what Godfather is about. And. That's sort of the same thing. I mean, The Sopranos is not so much about capitalism. There is a lot of capitalism involved and, like, a lot of critique of that. But it's, like, where Godfather is about capitalism, The Sopranos is about, like, mental health. 
mm-hmm. because Tony Soprano sees the therapist. Right. And it's really, really fascinating because the whole, the, the, what I've noticed that is sort of like an ongoing theme throughout the entire series is that everybody is lying to each other and themselves. And David Chase, the guy who created Sopranos, he said that his trick to writing it is that I he everyone's dialogue is is everyone is like saying the opposite of what they're feeling or what they or what they mean. And the episode I watched last night like really encapsulated that. And it just like it really hit home about like that kind of toxicity, that sort of lack of awareness and that's sort of really permeated our culture where we're like shaping our own reality in a way through the internet and through our media and stuff. Well, and I, I will say, I find it interesting that America has had such a long, we've resonated so strongly with gangsters. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think probably the movie that really brought that brought to my attention, what you're talking about here was gangs of New York. Yes. Which basically demonstrated that the birth of our political parties right. were rooted in gangs, right? Yeah. The big final battle is a gang that's painted blue and a gang that's painted red. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I, I cause it's one of the things I noticed about American tribalism, right? I mean, and, and you can see like that mentality, that tribalistic gang participation mentality in video game culture, in, you know, nerd culture, in, you know, like sports teams, you know, get into those kinds of things, right? They have their own rituals and the things you have to do to prove yourself to the people that are sort of determined to be the leaders and how you stay in good graces versus fall out of good graces, right? So it's it's all part of our culture. And so it's just sort of a fascinating thing that we, we're all gangsters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking that every episode I'm watching, I'm thinking about like, you know, I think like the best movies are about gangsters. The best TV shows are about gangsters. There's a reason for that. It's not because we love gangsters. It's because like the whole crime, the whole criminal, the idea of like a criminal empire, it, like it just resonates so much with us, <laughs> you know? Because that's what America is. Yeah, it's it sort of made me look at like or just a government differently. Like where it's like, you, you know, being under the thumb of the state. It just like it's like being. And as somebody who has to, like, deal with the state because of my industry, I feel like I'm having to, like, you know, kick some money over to the boss, you know, to, mm-hmm. to keep things in line. Or else I'm going to come by and break your legs. Like, that's what it feels like. Well, it, uh, it's funny. When I was in just out of high school, uh, you know, I discovered a wonderful little movie called Office Space. Yeah. And uh, I love the soundtrack. I used to listen to it a lot. And one of the unintended consequences of the soundtrack is that it introduced me to some gangster rap that I otherwise would never have listened to. Right. And the song, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster, deals exactly with what you're talking about. How, because yeah. it's all about like, you know, gangsters doing this, gangsters, you know, gang culture. And then it gets to the end where it's like, I'm the president of the United States. Right, yeah. <laughs> the president of the United States as sort of a gang boss. Right. And how it's all the same game. Totally. Um, fascinating, fascinating stuff. This has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. Well, kind of, right? Well, we're <laughs> going to talk about, we're going to talk about a capitalistic empire predicated on being a part of a particular tribe in a gang, right? This that's, is... that's true. Uh, this week we're talking about bookstores. We're, we're going back to a, an old series of episodes we used to do called the Christian Curiosity series, sort of unofficially. 
Yeah, yeah right. I, mean, I don't right. have a, I don't have like a theme for it. Like I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a musical cue for it. Maybe I should. Um, but we're gonna talk about Christian bookstores, and um, I think what I found sort of interesting about Christian bookstores, checking it in my research, is like how tied up it is to uh, Christian publishing, and how it really informs sort of the overall like environment or i should say climate of evangelical christianity in terms of like christian evangelical christian bookstores where it's almost like if you want to know what's trending in the culture you would go to a bookstore to one of these bookstores right and what's interesting is that they're all closing down like all of them yeah uh the big hitters who had like upwards to 200 stores around the country all closed yeah like um, family christian and um um what's the what's the baptist one lifeway right lifeway yeah they just closed all their stores all, all this all happened with like the past five years or so yep i remember when i remember when uh the family went out of business because there was one in uh Boynton beach that i used to go to and there's one day was gone right so um but you know the thing about christian bookstores is that they are so uniquely Christian. <laughs> like there are things you can get at those at that you could get at those places that you couldn't find anywhere else. And I think that's why it's so much of a Christian curiosity. You could that's right. where you go to find Christian curiosities. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so I asked Chuck to come up with a list of things uh, that he found that he either saw or bought himself that he could only get at a Christian bookstore. And I have a list of things too. And we're going to go over those lists. Right let, let me add, well, let me also add a detail is that, you know, I worked in a Christian bookstore for my three years of seminary. Oh really? Okay. Was it a, but, was it an evangelical store or was it uh Methodist? So it's a little bit different. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Cokesbury books. Yeah. I'll go first. Okay. okay. So I made a list of this stuff. Uh, this is mostly stuff that I, I saw or bought. It's kind of a mix, not in any kind of particular order. Uh, actually, I would say the order is is uh, autobiographical. Okay. Um, so the first thing I ever got from a Christian bookstore, I didn't actually buy it. I stole it. I was... <laughs> I love that you stole from a Christian bookstore. <laughs> I was uh, five years old, and my mom took me to a Christian bookstore for the very first time in my life. And it was a little one, like in a strip mall, like like a little hole in the wall kind of place. And I was just looking at all this stuff, and they had this big, sort of bin full of plastic multi like multicolored plastic rings, pink yeah, ones, were, yellow ones. They're they're for like Sunday school, they're like gift like giveaway for Sunday school things, little tchotchkes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're little rings, and they had a smiley face on them because smiley faces were, uh, if you, uh, were, were very popular back then. They weren't just emojis. Um, and it's, it would, they said on the bottom, "Jesus loves you." And I really wanted a, a pink smiley face ring. I was really drawn to the color pink when I was a kid. By the way, and historically, historically, it was the boys' color because it yeah. was considered too harsh for girls. That's true. I think it was just like a very. Well, it was the 80s, so that probably has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably hot pink. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted one, and my mom's like, nope. Nope, we're not getting one today. 
which I mean I don't know why it, like we we weren't like poor and these rings had to have been like fifteen cents I don't know anyway anyway whatever mom you're the boss but I uh, I didn't listen and I just uh, you know just beep put it in my pocket and uh, we walked out and then we got home and I was in my room had my my ring on playing with it and I put it on my windowsill and my mom came in the room and she saw it and she flipped her lid. Not happy, very angry. The first time I take my son to a Christian bookstore, what does he do? He steals. He shoplifts. <laughs> After I deliberately told him not to. And so she made me go back. We both went back with the ring. We gave it back. I had to apologize. And I actually remember like the the person working there would like thought it was funny. <laughs> I don't know. Um so that was my very first uh, Christian bookstore um, experience. Uh, I guess you could probably get those anywhere now. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So the second one, I don't know if you remember this, Chuck. You might remember. I think. I mean, I think they still like make these. Uh, the armor of God. Um, oh, I remember. I always wanted it. What, what what would you call those? Like those were kind of I don't. Do they still make stuff like this where they make like plastic costumes for kids? Like it was an it was a set of like plastic armor that you could wear, right? And it was based yeah. on what the Ephesians six ten through eighteen, the armor of God, right? Which I, I wanted it so bad as a kid. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> the yeah. thing is, I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive that it was the exact same crappy suit of armor that you could buy, like, at Walmart at Halloween, just with scripture verses attached to it or yeah, something. Yeah, I think it was, because I had a friend who, who like, had a bunch of, like, plastic swords and plastic pieces of armor, and one of them was the armor of God. And it was just sort of, like, you know, indistinguishable from, like, the rest of his other <laughs> plastic toys. Um, but yeah, that was one thing I really wanted, but never really got. I just wanted because you know you got a sword. Swords are cool. That's what we all wanted. Yeah. So and that was definitely one of those things. Breastplate of righteousness. You wanted that sword of the spirit. Yeah, you could be a, a you know a, a a little a little little crusader. Yeah, a little just templar. A little little templar. <laughs> um. So that was that the armor of God, and then there was the um, this one is interesting because this definitely came from just like going to the inspiration house which is a, a pretty big bookstore chain in florida i don't know if it is if it exists throughout the rest of the country but is, is there, it specific? No, no, no. i think it's a, it was a specifically a florida thing and i remember when we were in college there were two locations there was the original one there in like lantana yeah and then there was the other one up in north palm beach right um and it's the, the one in lantana i mean i don't know if it's still around but it was when I still lived in Florida, and it was massive. Yeah, that was the one I used to go to. Okay. Uh, it was just down the street from the uh, comic book shop, uh, Past, Present, Future. Wasn't it just down the street? It wasn't just down the street? Mm-hmm. Past, Present, Future is like Okeechobee. And, uh, I mean, you could probably get there within like 10 minutes, so okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, all I know is that I would go there and pick up my redemption cards and then go down to Past, Present, Future with Matt and play Redemption. <laughs> yeah, he's got his redemption card there. Oh, I didn't put Redemption on here. I probably should have done that. We, we've talked I'm about it so much. did it, actually. Yeah, yeah well, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, the third thing on my list here is um, the Archangels comic book series. 
we had a whole run of those at my church's, my old church's library. I discovered them just wandering around and looking at their comic book selection. And I just remember thinking like it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and what's funny is that uh, looking back at it now, it really is like, it really is like things that we always talk about, like that sort of Christian alternative yeah. to secular stuff. Now that I'm more versed in comics, like they ripped off so many comics. Oh yeah. Uh, like, like so many people's like artwork. Like it, 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 I'm pretty sure it's supposed to look like Jim Lee style. Oh, totally. Artwork. Um, and one thing that sticks out to me is the, the personification of the Holy spirit. I guess I should kind of tell you what Archangels is about. It's about angels kind of doing battle in the spiritual realm. So like while you're struggling with sin or whatever, demons and angels are like battling over your soul basically I'm sure we've talked about this i think before was there any relation to the frank peretti books no, no, no but it's the same idea um same marketable idea um uh, and the one that i had bought i guess it was sort of the climax of the series because it wasn't just like angels and demons who are the sort of these kind of lowly armored beings it was a, it was a battle between the archangel michael and a head demon, I forgot what his name was, but he looked like 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 Tim Curry in uh, Legend. <laughs> um, and they like fought. I remember thinking like, this is so cool. This should be a movie. And what's interesting is that the personification of of the Holy Spirit, who summons Archangel, is just Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> like it's Doctor Manhattan in robes, and he's like, uh, and like. <laughs> What's funny is like that one of the main characters like falls off of something trying to save someone from committing suicide and the Holy Spirit is hovering over him and he summons the book of life and he like opens it. He's like, mm, he's not in here. And he makes it disappear and like he heals them or something. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was the coolest thing when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I remember because I, I mean, you know, I looked at um in our book bookstore or in our library at the church and i was sort of fascinated by the the whole like clearly drawing on that image era of comics yes. right and it's almost obvious it's almost too obvious that spawn was the inspiration right like we're gonna have a comic that's about hell spawn so let's do one about angels right which is funny because i think even todd mcfarland eventually had like a heaven version of spawn uh, i think his name was redeemer yeah uh i only know it because of the action figures uh, Fair. Hey man, I, uh, I I came up. I was I was trying to come up with my own uh, heavenly version of uh, of Spawn back in the day. I called it. I called him Host, right? Like Heavenly Host. Okay. All right. Instead right. of a giant cape, he had enormous wings, just like hilariously huge wings. <laughs> nice. Um, this next one, you know, Chuck, I, I told you about this one in our our, our messaging. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned this in a previous episode where I had found a VHS tape that was supposed to be watched if you were left behind. And I, this is, I also found this at, at, at the uh, Inspiration House bookstore. And I remember it being left behind themed. <laughs> like it was, it was LaHaye and Jenkins like giving people instruction on what to do if you're left behind. And I looked up the the video last night, and I'm kind of just scroll, I'm just scrolling through Amazon and 
Google Images, whatever, doing doing the best research I can. And I think I might have just gotten really confused because it wasn't made by the people who, who, who made Left Behind. And it was not a Left Behind tie-in. However, the, the VHS cover does say what to do if you've been then in very giant letters left behind. <laughs> right. So it's very much like, you know. So are you saying that Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye didn't do it? No, I don't think they did. I'm almost positive because I have somewhere the pocket guide to the apocalypse where they talk about the, that Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye made wine. I don't know. I'm going to have to do some more research on this. I'm wondering, oh, do we, is this a Mandela effect thing? It might be. I mean, it could be. I mean, I, if there were other supplemental stuff they made for Left Behind that was like in video form. But I don't know if this one particular. Gonna consult. <laughs> Gonna consult. Okay. Um, uh, for those of you I... listening, uh, Chuck is flipping through a book known as the uh, pocket guide to the apocalypse yes uh looking for this fabled vhs tape um i am i am telling you that i have read about this thing oh you know what it's not in this book it's in a book that i left in florida so you had Um, your own little mandela effect yeah, no, it's a book that I left in Florida called um, The Rapture Exposed. Okay. Uh, anyway, okay, I'm almost positive, though. Okay, maybe it is a Mandela Effect thing for a number of us who who, who, who trade in this stuff. I don't know. Further anyway. research is, is required. Well, I'll have to follow up. I'm going to put a pin on that. Anyway. Hey, hey, if you're listening and you are watching and you happen to have the video, that we're, this mythical video... Yeah. And it's not like actually cursed somehow. Like <laughs> we, we would put we would put it online and we we're would clip online. Yeah, definitely. And we're not just talking about any video about like being left behind. No, it has to be like left behind themed. It has to right. be a tie in to the fran- to the to the to the best selling to the New York Times best selling franchise left behind. Yes. Has to be a tie in. Um, I just I, I love that, though. Like if that does exist, like if I'm left behind, like these people thought to like. Maybe we should advertise our books for the people who've been left behind. Because <laughs> that's that who I'm so thinking about when I've been left behind. Kurt Cameron. I better watch that movie. Where he only kisses in silhouette because he can't kiss another woman. It's only his wife. You know that, yeah? Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Probably. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, the... Um, I just love how sure they are that their interpretation of future events is so accurate that they could produce like an effective. Right. It's definitely meant for like churches to buy them in mass and just leave them in the closet. It's probably definitely not meant to be watched at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is the sort of thing that makes me remember when we, um, we were, I, I was I spammed you a couple weeks ago with like ideas for a for a for a fake Twitter account for the uh, Unite government from the Deep in the Night. Yeah, yeah, with their one you know, van like, and their the, one helicopter. Yeah, like I, I feel like this is the sort of thing that's like because you know I was making jokes about like you know good neighbors don't loot the 
right? We're going to auction off the houses rather than looting the houses or whatever. Yeah. But like that's sort of the, but the mentality, if you think about it is like, oh, I'm looting this person's house. Oh, what's this video? Well, <laughs> let me sit down and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Because the only person buying that video is somebody who already believes in it. But like, but yeah, what a weird thing! Like to buy a video that you're not ever gonna watch, and it's not for you. It's for you to keep like on your bookshelf in the mindset that like a family member is gonna come <laughs> looking for you. They can't find you anywhere. That you're among the millions missing, and that they're just gonna like peruse your VHS collection yeah. and be like, huh. And put this in instead of, I don't know, the DVD collection of The Sopranos you definitely don't own because it's godless. Right. Um, <laughs> I just, it's just such a fascinating, fascinating thing to me. Right. Yeah. And I guess what they had produced, maybe this is what I'm thinking of. Maybe Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye had produced something for Christian Broadcasting Network to broadcast in the event that the rapture happens. Maybe. And maybe they never made that available. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But, um, but I, it's just, it's just, anyway, we can get in the weeds on this one. I'm just going to step, step out of it. <laughs> uh, the last one I have, um, there was a comic book series made by the, uh, ever elusive and legendary, uh, Jack Trick, Jack Chick, known as, uh, the Crusaders, you introduced this to me. I had no idea these existed until you sent me this. And I am sort of, I'm sort of kicking myself that I didn't know. But then again, I probably come from an alternative reality where they didn't exist or something. We should do an episode on this. Yes, we should. Um, if we can I find them. I want them. the whole run. I want the whole run. Yeah, I do too. Because it, it, it's, okay. Not because it's a masterpiece of work or anything. No, no, no. Um, what's fascinating about it is that, like, it's it takes the, the chick tract to like 11 like <laughs> and it's done by him supposedly um but what it is is uh, if you're not familiar with with the chick track it's they were like these little comic strips there were little morality tales morality tales usually very anti-semitic or homophobic or super sexist and racist that anti-catholic yeah super anti-catholic oh my super god Wow, I mean, I thought it was like mostly anti-Semitic, but I think these. I th I'm pretty sure Jack Trick, Jack Jack Chick hates the Catholic Church more than, like, I, I mean, just wow. Dude. I was, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole weird sub thing within in, within the independent Baptist movement that just hates Catholicism. Yeah, and like the things he came up with is like weirder than like anything you've heard with, with like Q, um, <laughs> like inventing cancer. Is one thing I heard about, uh, which is in this comic book series. Anyway, this was a this is not a tract. This was not something you like left around, uh, you know, a park or whatever. That's what the that's what the chick tracks were for. You gave them out at right. Halloween. You left them somewhere so someone could find it. Um, these were comic books, and they actually had stories. And what it's about is like these two guys. Uh, I think their names are Jim and. Tyler, one was ex-military. The other one used to belong to a gang. Guess which one was black? Uh, the, the military <laughs> guy. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's funny is that their origin stories, stories, stories basically, uh, they become Christian, and as, as they are saved, they are imbued with 
powers of the Holy Spirit. What? We 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 got we got we got shortchanged. Yeah, yeah. Um and <laughs> and so what they do is they just kind of like they 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 partner up uh, as a gay couple um as the, I, I'm just <laughs> they have a great wedding. It's it's very tasteful. Uh, two kings walking hand in hand. Anyway, it no, that's that's I'm I'm kidding. They're not gay. Um, they're just two dudes. They're they're just dudes. They're just dudes. Why can't dudes just be friends? Why can't they just be friends? Anyway, why are you already shipping these two? <laughs> I'm shipping them very much. Anyway, they travel across the country, battling the forces of of Satan and witchcraft and Darwinism. <laughs> And like it sounds like I'm making this up, right? Like I, I got, I'm making up like Jack Jack Chick superheroes. The thing, the thing about Jack Chick is, is it's sort of like the Trump administration, whereas <laughs> there is no satire yeah. that could be as good as the real thing. Right, right. Um, anyway, so I, I found a couple of of comic books uh, when I was a kid at a, at a Christian bookstore, and um, my mom bought them for me. And one of them was called Exorcists, The Exorcists. And it was about a kid who was possessed by a demon. And uh, the the two, uh, the couple um, exorcised the demon out of him. Um, basically just saying, like, you know, in the name of Jesus, like, come out, whatever. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the one where someone had mentioned something. A, a character had mentioned something about, like, because they were trying... What happens is like a, a, a character, a victim, experiences like some horrible supernatural, like Buffy style demon experience, and then they have to come in and save them, and then they're literally saved at the end of the story. Like they're they're converted, um, and so like one of the characters, they're like, do you know, you know, do you know about Jesus? Like, yeah, something about like the uh, uh, three wise men or whatever. And then, like, I just remember the characters getting, like, pissed off. Like, no! There were not just three wise men! And it was showed... It was, like, a, like a reference panel to Bethlehem. And there was, like, a whole line of people in robes lining up around this town to, to meet the baby Jesus. Chuck, does this track at all? Like, does it... This is very fun. This is so. This is very. So one of the things about independent Baptists, because Jack Chick's an independent Baptist, okay. um, the fundamentalist world in general, yeah. is they get weird about well, about a lot of things. They get weird about these like just sort of inconsequential scriptural deals. Yeah. And because I remember my church always made a big point that we had four wise men. Okay. At our Christmas play, because the scriptures just say three gifts, not three wise men. <laughs> and it was just such a weird, I just remember being such a weird, like one, all it did is reinforce like a smugness, like, ah, see, like yeah. we're clever. We noticed something you didn't. Oh, uh, like, like that, like Joseph and the whale, right? Like Jonah and Jonah the whale. The, <laughs> Joseph. No, Joseph, his brother. He met a whale. <laughs> he, he, he got a golf, he, he pried a golf ball out of the bowl hole and he, <laughs> I don't know. Nice. Well done. Um, no, um, you know, but it, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, I've, I've talked about this in sermons where like, yeah, it's a tradition that we have three wise men and we have names for them. And there's this whole Catholic and Eastern Orthodox tradition where they are fine, whatever, it's fine. No big deal. Yeah. Um, 
but like I've taught, I've taught sermon, I've, I've preached sermons where I said, you know, that, you know, it would have probably, they wouldn't have just come alone. Like if there were three wise men, they wouldn't have come alone. They would come a huge entourage of people. Yeah. Right. So like, that's just sort of a cool visual. Just imagine being, you know, Mary and Joseph, you know, on top of that, it, they probably came much later than the birth itself. So like, you know, they're Mary and Joseph are just doing stuff around the house and this entourage of people from, from, you know, modern day Iran show up. Like, that's just a cool visual, but like, I'm not going to get uppity about it. <laughs> that's the thing that struck me to this day. Even when I was a kid, I was like, wow, that's a little, he's really mad. <laughs> I mean, that, that could just be like, you know, bad artwork or something. I don't know. Um, but I just remember like, it was just, just said three wise men. Let's get so angry. Jeez. I know. Right. And like, but we don't get upset about the other stuff. Yeah. Right? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, this is, uh, I, I want to. I did a little bit more research last night onto the Crusaders, and it kind of devolves into like a sort of like Catholic conspiracy theory kind of story, like conspiracy thriller. Um, it's all about how like the Catholic Church like invented cancer or whatever. And apparently, this I think this comic book series was responsible for um, some ministries and organizations pulling back on releasing the chick tract publications just because of how unhinged just how unhinged he became towards catholics and they're like maybe we shouldn't i mean we could be anti-semitic all day <laughs> but uh you know but like so i thought i thought that was funny yeah and we I, have a series on this yeah we really do i mean just jack trick and jack chicken i keep calling him jack trick um <laughs> That's that's his uh, that's his uh, gay DJ nephew. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, we need to do an episode. Apparently, like no one knows if he's actually dead or alive. Right. I I, I have a theory. He's never real. That he was a yeah a name a collectivist name for a group of people. Um, sure. Much like uh, Mister House in uh, Fallout New Vegas, we're not really sure. You kind of have to find the coin. And you insert it into the robot. You have to. It's a whole journey. Hey, so speaking of video games. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of my list. Let's move on to Chuck's list. Yeah. So, uh, so one of the first things I can remember getting from a mine's not in order. Okay. Anyway, but you just you know you have to just think about it. But one of the things I always think of, aside from like music, right? Because I spent so much of my time in Christian bookstores listening to me because this is where you had to buy a lot of Christian CDs. You couldn't. Virgin had a section, right? But like for me, for the most part, I couldn't get Christian CDs outside of Christian bookstores because the only Virgin that I knew of, uh, other than myself and everyone in my youth group, <laughs> oh, uh, hey, was uh, was that um, Disney? And I, you know, my mom was going to drive me all the way out there to just go shop for music. But yeah, um, I, uh, but yeah, so Christian Christian bookstores where I where I listen to a lot of music, and that's what that that's what it represented for me. Um, but when I was a kid, though, I remember getting the various video games published by the Wisdom Tree Company, which this is another one we need to do an episode on. Yeah, we almost they're did. A, yeah, no, they're a fascinating, they're a fascinating video game company that were not really, they weren't really making Christian games, and then they realized there was an untapped market. And so they just started making really, they, well, they repackaged a bunch of their crappy games for christian purposes right. and then they made just a handful of really crappy christian games um for the nintendo entertainment system and for the game boy i still am a proud owner of the cartridges of 
Bible Adventures for the Game Boy and Spiritual Warfare for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is the best of the games they made yeah. um, because it is it is it is a rip off of the Legend of Zelda, and it's actually. <laughs> probably one of the better Zelda clones out there. In fact, a lot of video game reviewers comment that it is actually, in and of itself, a legitimately entertaining video game. Huh. Um, but much like with your, you have to collect, the, you know, the items you collect throughout the game are the, the the pieces of armor of God, as well as the various fruits of the spirit. Right. And they have various factors. The, my favorite is the is that um, one of the fruits of the spirit is a banana, and you can use it like the boomerang uh, <laughs> in Zelda. Um, my favorite animation is that when you defeat a bad guy, uh, you get a little graphic of them in their on their knees in prayer. Yeah. Uh, you save them, and then they disappear. Um, so I don't know what oh that's supposed gosh. to mean. That's but so weird. But occasionally a little demon pops up and flies around and attacks you. Um, and apparently the final boss of the game is the devil himself, that you as an evangelist have to fight and defeat the devil. Right? Actually, so actually. not about Jesus, about us. Um, but... Yeah, so Wisdom Tree Games, uh, Bible Adventures is a famously, hilariously bad video game. Um, and if you want something very entertaining, you should Google Sean Baby's review of Bible Adventures. Yeah. Um, it is an extremely R-rated article. Um, <laughs> it was part of his list of 100 worst video games ever made. And it appeared in Electronic Gaming Monthly back in 1998, I think. And it is, it is, that is the hardest I have ever laughed in my life, was reading that. Um, Alternatively, uh, the angry video game nerd, James Rolfe, uh, has done some notorious uh, video reviews of, I think, uh, a video game based on Mo the story of Moses. Yeah, that's Bible Adventures. Um and he found that most of these games were just like ported over from other games. Like they were like actually illegally made. Oh yeah. Like they're bootleg. That's why we, we, we absolutely have to do an episode of wisdom tree because their, their business practices <laughs> are shady. See, I, we uh, should, we, we definitely did. This should be like a big thing. Like I should come to Hawaii and we should look for this and we should actually play it together and maybe even stream it. I don't know, but this is a, I, I, Dude, I would love there's there are there are, I would love to have a Twitch stream for two video games. One, yeah. like play with me, you know, you know, play along Twitch stream with me playing Spiritual Warfare. Right. Um, which by the way, you get Wisdom Tree, I think, has it available as a browser game if you want to play it. Um and um, um but also I have a copy of Panzer Dragoon Saga that I need to beat, and I think that would be fun to to play because it's such a rare video game. Anyway, so Yes, come to Hawaii. Let's make that happen. You should do, do that. I want to do it. We should do a, we should do a like a Hawaii episode, yeah. like a real proper Hawaii episode. Um, the other thing, let's see, let me get my let me pull my list up. Actually, I'm thinking about it. Um, so that was my that was the first thing on my list. Um, oh, oh, Christian parody T-shirts. This is something <laughs> that is a very unique piece of Christian culture. Um, a Christian parody t-shirt is a t-shirt that looks like a popular t-shirt. Like perhaps you have seen the one that looks like an Abercrombie t-shirt that says a breadcrumb in fish. And it has a Bible reference to the feeding of the multitudes. Um, perhaps. Uh, you may have seen one that it looks like the Coke or Pepsi logo, but it says Jesus, which in retrospect now is a beautiful, ironic statement. Yeah. Um, 
Um, one of the ones that I had was that was my favorite to wear. It was it looked like the Reese's peanut butter cup logo, um, but it, it but the the peanut butter cup looked like a crown, and it was like King of Kings and Lord of Lords or something like that. Um, That's great. I used to wear that skateboarding a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, so there was just a whole range of these uh, Christian Perry T-shirts. You can find Im examples of them online. Um, but someone related to this is products from the Truth Clothing Company. Uh, Truth Clothing was an attempt at a sort of like no fear. If you remember that brand? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. It was sort of an attempt at that, but for Christians. And so it was, they weren't like, overt you know now you have like not of this world which is sort of taken on the the banner from truth but truth was just trying to make like clothes for christians to wear and they were like you know they look good with your airwalks back in the 90s you know what i'm saying okay. All right. so so um so yes yeah, so i used to buy truth clothing because it was like sort of skateboard um alternative you know wear that i could that i could you know sport like i'm like you know mm -hmm repping my Christian brand. Yeah. But what I what, but ancillary to that is they put out a handful, they put out two extreme sports compilation videos called The Moment of Truth. And they were just collections of skaters and snowboarders and surfers or whatever, but they were stitched together with a loose narrative to try to make it seem like the guys that were in the narrative portions were somehow like on this road trip in this old beat up van doing um, extreme sports stuff on their own. They had a little bit of a comedic angle. Um, the guys who were responsible for making this also made later a movie, which is a sort of unofficial third sequel in the series called Extreme Days. Okay. That featured um, yeah. Bio, that featured Miss um, Vaughn from uh, uh, Veronica Vaughn from uh, Happy Gilmore. She also played uh, Sonia Blade yes. in the Mortal Kombat movie. Um, cannot remember that actress's name. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, but and then of course Toby Max, uh, Toby Max rap metal, right? Soundtrack. Um, but the thing that connects those, this is where I have a little. I told you I have a little deep cut knowledge. One of the things that sort of have you ever seen Extreme Days, JP? No. Okay. There's this very bizarre moment in like a kid's arcade where they have a random karate fight with a bunch with a group of dudes that just come out of nowhere. Like the car there in the road trip is bumps up with this old van and they have this karate fight. This is a reference to the Moment of Truth movies where the guys uh, from the Moment of Truth would have random martial arts fights. Okay. Edited very funny. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it was, it was one of those things where when Josh and I saw the Moment of Truth, or saw Extreme Days in theaters, we actually like stood up and cheered because we was like, we get the reference, you know, like we <laughs> thought it was very, anyway. Um, we were the only people who got it because we're probably the only people who ever watched the Moment of Truth videos. Um, but, you know, the, the other stuff that I think of is kind of like benign, you know, like those little metal crosses you could buy that say like Jesus loves you. So you could keep it in your pocket with your with your change. And so when you go to get your change, you're like, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. Just a little reminder type thing. Right. Or like, um, you know, or like you get those little bookmarks of inspirational sayings. Right. Yeah. You know, things like that. Promise and then, rings. Of course, promise rings. Um, there's also like a bunch of weirdly specific things that still kind of fascinate me, like Bible highlighters, like highlighters that are specially formulated so they don't bleed through the onion skin pages of a Bible. Yeah. And like the Zebra Pen Company made some. There was like a another company. Yeah, Z, actually, Zebra makes a bunch. They make that. They make a dry highlighter. Um, 
and uh, like even even Kana was like my wife. She was just like, oh, I remember the Bible highlighters are so cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so stuff like that for like you know stuff for like marking up your Bible and studying your Bible. Oh, the other thing, one other thing is um, those Bible cases. Did you ever have a Bible case? I never. I've never had a Bible case, but like I, everyone I know had one. Every single person I knew who I went to like Christian school with or youth group, they all had some kind of like just like this tricked out Bible case with like patches and stickers and all kinds of stuff. on. Yeah. They had them that made, they made some that looked like, like a Jansport backpack with a little leather on the bottom. <laughs> they had uh, the one that I had was like billed as sort of like a, if they had put it in like a gray or olive green, it would have been tactical, but mine was <laughs> yellow. Yeah, um, okay. but it had like, it had like webbing, you know, like not, you know, the bungee cord webbing on the front for like sticking stuff in and it had like all these pockets and pouches and yeah. I colored on it. And I used that thing for years. I used to, I actually for a while even, you know, stuck my prayer book in it. Um, cause I thought it was funny to use in seminary cause it was just such a bizarre thing when people were like, what is that? I've never seen this before. Really? That's Epis- funny. Episcopalians were so bewildered by so much of the evangelical Christian bookstore stuff. That's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, then of course there's church supplies, right? We've, yeah. Those are things you can buy at, at Christian bookstores. You know, your box of little chiclet wafers and <laughs> right. a little cups for communion. Testaments. Uh, testaments, the breath mints that have a scripture verse so you could like evangelize while telling people they got the stank breath. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to comment uh, and it's a little, little aside. For a second, I've been I've been meaning to mention this uh, on the on on the show. Um, when you're talking about the sort of humorous Jesus shirts, mm-hmm. one of the first times you and I ever hung out, you were wearing a T-shirt that had had like a really poorly drawn Jesus on it, and I thought I was like the funniest thing in the world. I was like, dude, where did you get that shirt? It's like, oh, you're like, oh, I got this at like a thrift store, and. It was from like a summer camp or something. Okay. Huh. And um and you know, this is around the time the ironic t shirt was just becoming a thing. And I thought it was like the most brilliant, hilarious thing in the world that this guy just goes to a thrift store and wears a bad t shirt on purpose. <laughs> like I'm like, that's just like I had discovered fire. Like <laughs> and I remember you weren't friends with Matt. I don't even think you had met Matt yet because I had like two separate groups. I was like, friend, it was like our group and then Matt's group. was like off campus with like his ministry that I was like kind yeah. of involved with. Okay. And then yeah. I went with them to go see a movie and we were walking out of the movie and saved was coming out and there was a poster for saved. And one of the characters is wearing the Jesus ACDC shirt. Yeah. And when I saw that, I immediately thought of this weird dude, Chuck, who wears who wears purposely bad T-shirts. I saw that and I was like, I want that shirt. I was like, Matt, I want that shirt. He was like, why? And I'm like, it's funny. It looks like ACDC, but it says Jesus. That's hilarious. And he's like, GP, you know they're making fun of you, right? And I was like... That makes it funny. If I wore it, that makes it funny. It's like, no, they're making fun of you. I'm like, you don't, you don't get it, Matt. You don't get it. <laughs> if you were only here to weigh in. I, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, part of it, too, is I think of, um, 
I didn't rip it off from this, but it makes me think of um, a serial killer from uh, Hackers. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Lillard's character. If you notice in one scene, he's wearing a Christian T-shirt, and it's the one with the little girl holding, like, Jesus' hand with a hole in it. It says, like, <laughs> did it hurt? That's all it says. Like, did it hurt? Um, or does it hurt? Wow. And it's just sort of, you know, it was a very popular inspirational image. Oh, that's another thing Christian bookstores sold. was all that art that you could hang on your walls of like various biblical scenes. And oh, and that's the Thomas Kincaid paintings and <laughs> Max Lucado's everything. Um, yeah, all those posters you saw like hanging up on like a Sunday school wall, you know, all the, yeah, those, yeah. All those inspirational posters and stuff. Yeah. Oof. So. Yeah. There's so much kitsch and so many, like, I I wish I could go back in time to Long's Christian Bookstore in Edgewater. And I wish we could have had Keelan on this episode. He worked there for a spell. I bet he's got stories. Um, but I just, you know, I, I just, I know we'll get into it a little bit more, but I just want to say, like, for me, like, the Christian the Christian bookstore represented, like, my, my window into a bigger world and culture. Hmm. And, um... You know, because I grew up in, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in the hood, kind of, sort of suburban, like sort of straddling the line, depending on, you know, where I lived. I moved all over the Orlando area as a kid, and, um, and so like, you know, culture for me was like either, you know, the Disney-fied version of it, or like what I saw at a shopping mall. That was yeah. like when I got to go like into the real world. But then like the Christian world kind of allowed me like a safe version where I could like peruse books and I could see topics on things that I never ever like otherwise would have you know right uh, ironically my interest in socialism mm -hmm. is because of books i read that i found at christian bookstores so <laughs> like it has this, it can have a weird it can have a bizarre subversive quality to it too yeah well that, that's the fascinating thing about christian bookstores how big the umbrella was yeah like you found things that contradicted each other all the time yeah. Like, the fact that you can buy, like, a Joel Osteen book and a John MacArthur book in the same store, like, mm -hmm. that's a weird thing. <laughs> like, like, I remember I remember picking up a book that, you know, was about, like, religion and politics. It turned out to be some kind of, like, weirdo conspiracy, like, conspiracy self-published book or whatever, but it sort of interests me. I don't remember what it was, but I remember reading about, because I sort of got rid of it when they were defending Ruby Ridge. Anyway, Ooh. I, uh, but I remember I remember reading it while listening to POD because <laughs> I had got I think I picked up their album Brown okay. and um, it was that or it was uh, it was fundamental, fundamental elements of South Down but anyway I was just listening to POD while reading this like weirdo conspiracy political book but that's the kind of stuff you could get at a Christian bookstore yeah it is yeah uh, for the longest time I think that book what was that book about the kid who went to heaven Heaven is totally for realties. That book. I don't think it was that one, but it was one like it. Um, I mean, apparently that was like a popular genre for a little bit. I mean, that's what you could find in the Christian bookstore. You could find all those all those testimony books. That's that was a, that was a genre. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to read one once to make up for a bad grade in college. <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it it, it uh, that that I think that's what also fascinates me about Christian bookstore is like it, it's just not it doesn't belong to one particular yeah. facet of Christianity. It's like it's, they they try to put it all under the same tent. Right, and I, I mean, I remember going to Long's once, and I had I had I either had started had been dating or had just broken up with my first girlfriend who was Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. 
And I was in Long's picking up something and the woman behind the counter had the ash cross on her head for Ash Wednesday. And I was sort of taken aback by it because I'm like, this is an evangelical bookstore. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess, you know, like Lutherans or Catholics or whatever work here too. Yeah. And I just thought that that was kind of a neat, you talk about this big umbrella that you've got people from these disparate types of Christianity. Well, I mean, like, you know, I was an Episcopalian working at Cokesbury Books. You know, my man, you know, my, my, it was a, which is owned by, which is an arm of the United Methodist Publishing House. My manager was openly flamboyantly gay. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, we sold books to the very conservative rural Methodists, the liberal Episcopalians, the Presbyterians that came in, you know, uh, you know, all the books that we read and, and cause it was also the bookstore for the seminary that I went to. Yeah. Um, and just, so it was just such a, such a fascinating little, like, you know, even within the mainline niche of this, that you could again, this big broad thing where you could pick up, you know, a Pentecostal book and, you know, something by, you know, J.B. Phillips or some other evangelical conservative Anglican or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I did a little, research on the sort of, I guess you could call it, say the rise and fall of the Christian bookstore, uh, which may or may not be the title of the article that I <laughs> used. Um, uh, I'll, I'll link it into uh, the, the, the doobly-doo, as some YouTubers call it. Um, but basically, what's interesting about it, like I pointed out earlier, is that the Christian bookstore... Uh, it, it both is very dependent on Christian publishing, but then Christian publishing also very dependent on the attitudes of the like changing political climate, social, so, socio-political climate. Um, because Christian publishing wasn't really a thing in America until 1950. Um, when uh, like post World War II, and that's when the Christian Booksellers Association was formed, and the whole idea was to equip Christian product providers in the marketplace, and what they published was mostly like Bibles and religious tracts. Mm-hmm. That's not not anything really like like basically f- providing stuff for churches, I guess you could say, or church going folk. Um, nothing like supplemental necessarily. Um, but once the 90s, 1970s comes around, um, people start to notice that there's actually like an explosion in Christian publishing. It starts trending upwards like rapidly. And of course, the 1970s was when the evangelical mo- movement was gaining a lot of traction and a lot of influence. Well, and, and I, let me just add one, one other factor that I'm sure that played into that explosion was also during the 1970s was when the um, Southern Baptist Convention began its program of rooting out liberalism yes. from the seminaries. Right. And so there was that big push of, you know, that that's I mean, that's 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 coinciding with, you, you know, we're trying to create this sort of safe sphere of, you know, afraid away from liberalism and away from the hippies and away from the counterculture, like all of that. Yeah, it was a response to the big countercultural movement, the shifting climate at the time of the 1960s and 70s. And that's when the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association was formed. 
and so you have all these you have this sort of need because it's like you have these encroaching ideas that are changing norms are changing um and so when that happens you know christians become a bit more outspoken like they have to have their voice heard because they feel threatened by this movement um they they believe that their values were under siege and so they became mobilized to be heard and um so like in 1970 that's when you had how Lindsay's the late great planet earth come out which was the first uh christian work published by a secular publisher bantam bantam books and that sold 30 million copies and uh the late great planet earth i don't know if you know anything about it chuck i guess it's like a i know, I know lots about it okay yeah so it, it's about like it's like it's end of the world stuff book of revelation you know rapture stuff right yeah um, and no, notable, notable for being the first book that tried to that tried to take dispensationalist theology and plug it into current events. Okay, interesting. Um, and then you, in 1972 and 1973, do you know what the uh, best-selling nonfiction work was in those two years? Say the, the years again. 1972 and 73. Best-selling nonfiction work in those two years. Yeah. Hmm. It's the Living Bible. Okay, thank you. Yeah, the Living Bible. The Living Bible sort of explodes onto the scene in those two years. Okay, because I was I was thinking it was good. I was going to say like my utmost for his highest, which is like the second best-selling book of all time or something like that. Yeah, um, and then 1975, <laughs> Billy Graham's Angels comes around, and that becomes a bestseller. That was a huge book in uh, in the nonfiction realm. So, you know, while the, sh the culture is shifting, you have a whole other movement that's reacting to it. And this, uh, these associations, you know, these sort of publish these publishers, you know, giving them a voice. And so you got to come up with an establishment to, to, to house all this stuff. Why not a Christian bookstore? Just corner that market. Um, and then, you know, continuing on into the 90s, you would have books like The Purpose Driven Life, uh, Left Behind, of course, massively popular, and of course, uh, like all of Frank Peretti's work, works. That yeah, Frank Peretti, Frank Peretti stuff was huge in the 80s. My mom, my mom loved This Present Darkness and loved that book. Right. So that's kind of the rough history of, of Christian bookstores. I mean, it's not that different from, from other, it's tale as old as time of like businesses starting out. The thing that's unique to that is it is mostly mostly in response to a changing culture. Well, actually, I mean, think about it. It's, it's it very closely mirrors what we're seeing right now happening in the world of social media. Yeah. Where, you know, this concern that, you know, Facebook and Twitter is censoring the right. And so now we're going to start creating our own alternative social media like platforms. Right. So that we can be, um, we can have our own, our own space for our own ideas, right? This is something that the right has been doing since the fifties is creating alternative places from the mainstream stuff so that they can just do well, their own thing without criticism. <laughs> here's what I found interesting, Chuck. You know, the formation of all this, the, the kind of explosion of Christian publishing and the Christian bookstore happened around the same time as the formation of the sort of evangelical religious right. Yes. Is that sort of gaining traction? They start... The, well, the, and let me, 
Go ahead. But all, but there's also a little bit of a weird piece in that too, right? Because I, I just want to mention this because I think when a lot of people hear like the mainstream religious right, they're thinking of like the early, like like Nixon Reagan type Republicans in the early days of the moral majority. But there is a little bit of a weirdness piece in there, and that is the Jesus People movement, which are a bunch of friggin' hippies right, yeah, that yeah. suddenly like gravitate into the into the evangelical right and so there's also that piece and that leads to the whole fostering of the christian music world interesting um and so i just i just just want to give i just want to paint a little picture in there for people that it's not just like dudes in polyester suits yeah creating this there's also these weirdo hippies that are a part of it too we need to talk about the the jesus people one day i think that would make for a great episode (laughs) anyway uh what i'm saying is this is sort of forming around the same time the christian bookstores and Christian publishing forming around the same time as this sort of movement is forming. Also, towards the end of the 90s or early 2000s, you start seeing sales go down because of the advent of the internet, of course. Uh, it's becoming more popular and shopping online is becoming more popular. And as the 21st century rages on, the sales going down and down and down and down and down and down to where we are oh. now. But also at the same time, church attendance amongst amongst evangelicals are also going down yep so i i don't know i think that's interesting and and i have this theory chuck as to why church attendance amongst evangelicals was starting to decline around that time and it's and it is and i think it is probably because of the christian bookstore and what that sort of represents which is that you don't need to go to church Mm mm-hmm if you believe that, you know, America is a, a Christian nation and that everything you do is Christian lifestyle, you listen to your Christian music, you watch your Christian TV shows, you watch your Christian movies and your Christian books, you wear your Christian shirts at, that you get at these Christian bookstores, why even go to church? Right. Well, and it, and it, and it, uh, it, it coincides, too, with something that you and I experienced at PBA because we were we I mean, we entered an evangelical Christian university in the midst of these. Yeah. In the midst of the shift, mm-hmm. and I know one of the, and I was a biblical studies student, so I was, you know, I was heavily involved in the in the ministry side of things, and, um, you know, this was the rise of what we call the religion free Christian. Remember, like that's right, yeah, yeah. I, I remember, I remember watching an episode of Pimp My Ride on MTV where um, Exhibit had to do a double take because this girl that he was working on her car for, she said, he because he saw his Christian stuff in her car, and she was like, oh, you're religious? Says, no, I'm not religious. I'm Christian. And he was yeah. like, what? Um, but that, yeah, that that movement of religion, free Christianity, which I I, was very enticing to me for a while because it was the same kind of thing. Like if, you know, if the scripture just says, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, then what does assembling mean? Right. So if I'm having, if I'm reading the Bible on my own and I'm, you know, listening to Christian music in my car and having a time of worship on my own and, you know, hanging out and talking about scriptural things with my friends at Bible studies and, I mean, the art barge was basically church for me for a while. Right. Um, you know, that what was the point of me going into the big room? Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you've nailed something. I, I think the other piece behind it, too, is that particularly like in the South and other parts, there was sort of the there was the cultural Christian, right? Like, I'm just Christian. Like, yeah. I don't really go to church very much, but I identify as Christian. Mm-hmm. And then as people felt more comfortable saying that just being honest about it, that that's partly why the numbers are declining, that... I guess so. Yeah. But 
but I do think you're, but I think you're right. I think, I think when you foster, when you foster this entire alternative subculture world, right. And you treat it like it's a subculture Yeah. that the church piece becomes optional, right? Because I mean, think about the number of people that, you know, the number of people, you know, that like identify themselves as say like skaters when we were teenagers, but they never went to a skate park. <laughs> right. It was right. an aesthetic. Yeah. Right? And that's, and that's kind of the thing that I think was, yeah, you're, you're, I think, I think you're nailing, you're, you're kind of nailing it. Um, you know, and, and there, I mean, but there's other factors too, I think in the background of it too, was, you know, the number of scandals happening in the church, yeah. um, at that time that sort of turned people off, um, and just got tired of just all the money and all the big, but then again, I don't know, people flock to Lakewood church people, um, you know, people still spend money on all this stuff. They just don't go to stores anymore but yeah i mean there's uh, something probably a bigger conversation as to why church attendance is down but like i do think that a very small part of it does come from at least as far as evangelicals go and i'm speaking as someone who who who, who grew up as an evangelical that like i mean if you're going to treat it like a lifestyle because you know we're, we're obsessed with lifestyle right um then you know there's no point to it, you know, and, and, and it's so funny because it's like I, you mentioned cultural Christian. And I remember hearing that mentioned so many times. And they were so opposed to the idea of a cultural Christian, someone who just came to church, you know, for Easter or Christmas or whatever. But like maybe we maybe that's that's why church attendance is down is because it's not cultural. It's more a fad. You know, to me, a lifestyle is not like a cultural thing. It's it's like a, right. it's a style. Like you know, like right. styles change. Yeah. I mean, look at I mean, a good counterpoint to all this is look at Latin America, right? Latin America, despite everything, is still intensely Catholic. Yeah. And, you know, you've got people who I mean, you you, you can I mean, I, you know, I know I know Catholics who pretty much hate everything the Catholic Church stands for, and they still go to mass. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that's what I'm talking about. Like I, culture. right? Like I, 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 I envy people because that—that's what I wish it. What I wish it was. Like I envy, you know, I, I envy Muslims and Jews, um, because it's more tied to an actual heritage than just because they read a tract. Right. It's very telling. It's very telling that in Latin America, the Orthodox world, especially. Um, and then among Jews and Muslims, it's very telling that their faith, people's faiths in that in that circumstance, is not tied to church attendance. Right. Right. So you think about like let's take outside of Christianity real quick. Look at Islam and Judaism. It's one of the things I've been thinking about a bit lately is that both Islam and Judaism are religions where some of its major religious festivals and like observances don't take place in, in a mosque or a synagogue. They actually take place at home, right? Sure. Yeah. You think you, know, you think about Passover. Passover is at a home. You don't go to the synagogue for Passover. You go to you go to someone's home, right? Um, um, you know, so um, you know Ramadan, the big festival, right? It's all about fasting. Yeah, you go to the mosque, you know, for your prayers, but like the real meat of what you believe as a Muslim is lived out around a dinner table with your family and your friends. Yeah. Um, the Orthodox world is like this, like Orthodox Christians. Because one of the things I was struck by when I went to the Holy Land was, you know, so I was, I, I went to church one morning at the Catholicon, which is the Orthodox cathedral right across from the tomb of Jesus. And um, 
Orthodox churches traditionally don't have pews. Everybody stands. But there was like all this movement. People were just walking. Like I would see people walk in. They walk up to the front, middle of the sermon, walk up to the front, reverence the altar, and then walk out. They'd kiss an icon, reverence the altar, kiss the other icon, walk out. And I was told that like, well, that's because these are people who they couldn't get off today to come to church. They're on their way to work. And so what they'll do is they'll come in, they'll light a candle, and then they'll kiss the icon, reverence the altar, kiss the other icon, and go home. That was like, that's part of their religious observance. Um, and that like, everybody understands that, like you come to church when you can. Um, it's not like you must be there where it is like in America. Kind of like going to a Christian bookstore. <laughs> what? I'm just, I mean, I'm saying like, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I probably sound like I'm trying to be like edgy or whatever, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Like no. maybe that's what the evangelical thing is. Maybe going to a Christian bookstore was more reflective of like a cultural participation yes. than actually going to church. I mean, in a way you're right because I, <coughs> I always felt like I was participating in Christian culture when I went to Long's bookstore and it felt, it felt more, it felt more connected with where I actually lived my life than sitting in the pew on Sunday, right? It went beyond just sitting in the pew on Sunday. And that's the thing about faith, right? Faith is actually truly lived out in your day-to-day -day moments, not when you're sitting in a church building. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a priest, right? So, like, this is part of the conversation that we're always having, and people get really nervous about talking about, you know, not encouraging church attendance. But I think that if we have more robust conversations around this stuff, we would probably wind up seeing more church attendance. When you, when you make it less of an obligation, I think— you know, it, it, it changes. But, uh, you know, without getting too off, off topic here, I just think that evangelicalism, part of evangelicalism's problem is that it's not tied to any kind of sense of sacramentality, right? So, like, you can only get the sacraments by coming to church. Yeah. You can't experience the sacraments through a TV screen or anything like that. Yeah. And so... You, yeah, when I mean, I think the, I think the, the, the next big thing that's going to the next big thing that really cuts off evangelical Christianity is the advent of streaming and Internet media, because yeah. if you can tune in and watch Stephen Furtick preach, mm -hmm. I don't know why you would do that, but there are people who do, apparently, <laughs> um, then you don't need to go darken the doors of your local church because what's the what's the different what, what 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 is fundamentally a different experience from going into Christ Fellowship in West Palm Beach and watching um, and watching uh, the preacher on a big screen in the room with other people versus watching him on your computer screen in your home? Man, it's functionally, it is functionally the same thing. I remember when they started doing that. When um, I had I had started going to Christ Fellowship because they had opened that one satellite campus. That was really close, and it was walking distance. Like, oh, finally, a church is walking distance. And then I get there, and it's just like, it's just you know, it's they're streaming the other sermon from like the main campus. And I remember being like really mad at that. Like, this is yeah. lame. I don't if I wanted that. I'd go there. I don't even like this guy. And then I talking, remember. Are you talking about when they started the one at City Place? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is funny when you said finally a church in walking distance. Holy Trinity Episcopal Church is closer. Memorial Presbyterian is practically okay, on but campus. The, I'm talking about a real church though, Chuck. Not a. But you see, right? You're 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 saying that you're saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, exactly. Right. I know, and I know you're being facetious, but that's. Yeah, n not one of these cancer-inventing churches. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. Okay. We were just, <laughs> we were just experimenting. 
were just it was it was a, it was a new exorcism technique that just went wrong. Okay? <laughs> anyway, I went to this church and they were just like sort of live streaming the main campus church, and you know a lot of people were really upset about that. It was like if we wanted this guy, we'd go there. We're kind of going here for a reason. We want different leadership. We want, you know, whatever. And I re- I remember going on one service and like the pastor of that campus just like just went in and like shamed everybody who was upset about it. Like I just remember the 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 sermon was how dare you criticize this church for having so much money. Yeah. And then I stopped going. Um Yeah. And anyway, uh <laughs> I don't know. What am I what am I saying here? Well, either way, I mean, we're we're touching on the we're touching on you know sort of the the issues that evangelicalism is dealing with, and the fact that it is it is sort of the byproduct of of a successful media subculture, right? I mean, yeah, we haven't factored in televangelism into any of this yet, right? You know, but, but like, but no, but I but I think but I think you're right though, and I and I think it's both the blessing and curse of the Christian bookstore, and I think it's possibly also one of those things where. Well, I mean, another thing that I know started happening, I saw this over in Colorado in places, a lot of these really big churches, they started just having their own bookstores inside their churches. Right, yeah. Thereby getting people not needing to go out to another company's bookstore, right? Same thing like Hillsong. Hillsong didn't want to have this, they didn't want to pay the rights to music publishers for other people's music. So they just started writing their own music. Yeah. And now you have to pay them to use their music. Um, (laughs) Right, so... That's, you know, so there is like, there's that, there's, there's that, you know, capitalism is going to capitalism. And, and so I think that, I think that, I think it shows that the churches were scared, right? Because when you, when you set something up to be the true alternative to what the world is doing, you're inevitably going to create, you're going to begin fostering a black hole from which nothing can escape because, all right, so we've created Long's Christian Bookstore in Orlando, okay? So this is a Christian bookstore. You can buy books from the Christian bookstore. But I remember even my pastors when I was a kid saying, we well, got to be careful what you buy there because you can't trust that everything there is actually Christian. Interesting. Because they sell stuff from Catholics. They sell stuff from this heretic, this person, this whatever, 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 whatever. So now, okay, now we've got to open up a bookstore that sells only this approved nice. stuff. Okay. Well, now, like, okay, so let's say we got Lifeway Christian stores, the Baptist bookstore. All right. Well, now the Baptists are splitting over the Armenianism, Calvinism thing. So now we got to have a bookstore that doesn't have any of that Armenian crap out of it. So now we got a Calvinist. You know, it just, it winds up, you know, to where you're really only selling one book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, the pa- and it's usually the pastors, right? Yeah. So I, so I think that like, this is also an element too, right? It, 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 you're, if you, if, if the, if the Christian bookstore world had embraced the fact that, as I told you when I said, I thought this would be a good topic for us is that like the, that the Christian bookstore is a place where a version of the dream of the nineties comes alive <laughs> Yeah, where you've got, you know, cause like you know, what I told you in my first message about this, like one of the things I love about a Christian bookstore is the fact that the little old church lady Lutheran who has the ash cross on her forehead working behind the counter, <clears throat> This might be the only time in her life 
that she can have a conversation with a goth girl yeah. and it not be like, you know, predicated on suspicion and defensiveness, right? The goth girl comes up and she buys, you know, she buys a Christian book and the girl and the, and the, and the old church lady is like, oh, I've heard good things about this. And now people who were so wildly dis- different and who's that woman would probably judge if she saw that girl in the mall are now having a conversation and they're learning a little bit more about each other. And, and, and I think that's sort of the beautiful thing that this, that, that, that a Christian bookstore can, can foster. It allows the church to in some ways actually be the church. Yeah. Um, but of course we had to ruin it by subdividing it or by saying that we can make more money selling our books online rather than praying for a brick and mortar store. And now we don't actually interact with one another. And so we go to churches where we all look and act the same and silo ourselves off from each other. And it's just killing us. Hmm. That's an interesting way to put it. I, I have a, um, I'm going to make a prediction, Chuck. Yeah. I'm going to have, I have a prophecy. I think that in the near future, I want to say 10 years, 2030s, um, you will see a, a, a strictly Christian devoted streaming platform for churches. Think of like Twitch, but for church and you can like pick and choose which church you want to drop in on whomever is streaming. And like each channel will have its own little online store where you can buy merch, t-shirts, books, the pastor wrote, um, all that stuff. I think that's around the corner. I mean, think about it this way too. Like think about the level you're, you're probably right. I'm just, cause it kind of makes me think there's a joke from, um, I can't remember that, that Christian comedian, um, who's been really active on social media the past several years, but he trying to cheat on his wife. So he took a hiatus for a little while. Um, shocker. Um, I don't think I know this guy. If you saw his stuff, you'd recognize him. Anyway, he, um, he made a, they made a joke about like a virtual reality church where you could then like tailor, like you put on your like Oculus Rift and then you could like tailor the kind of music you want, the type (laughs) of preacher you want, whatever. But right. Think about like, but you're right. You could basically use a streaming platform to tailor your own. So say you're like, I'm really feeling like a church service that, that plays old school hymns or like I want black, I want the black music tradition, but I want more of like a, like a Joel Osteen type preacher. I don't want the black preacher, but I want the black music. Right. So you can tailor it where like it'll stream the music portion of one church service Mm -hmm. and then pipe in the preacher from a different church service. Right. And if you're like, you know, if you're like a member of this, you know, if you're a member church of this streaming service, right, you're encouraged to tailor your music portion to like a certain length of time so that you have your cutoff points. Right. And you could. And what's funny is that I'm saying this. There's somebody who would hear this and be like, "Oh, let's write one of those. This is a great idea." And <laughs> I think you and I are saying, "Like, no, this is kind of a scary idea." Yeah. No, I don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think it's the opposite of what what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but it, I think you're right though. I could totally see it. Now the question is, now that we've got it out there, do we do it so that we can get ahead of it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there will be a Masters of Divinity channel on this, uh, uh, on this, we'll, we'll, let's see, something, something like Twitch. Is it, 
I mean, you could call it stream, right? Because like streams of living water. Uh... <laughs> oh, it's a uh, it's a uh, fountain plus. Fountain plus. <laughs> there you go. Fountain plus. Um, well, and that kind of goes back to where what I was saying earlier, and that these stores are all closing now. And what they tried to do to kind of save face was to expand more on like merch Mm -hmm. (laughs) like tchotchkes and uh what people call jesus junk oh yeah which is where i got the title episode from um and apparently that that wasn't enough (laughs) um and because yeah like i said the the big lifeway company they 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 had to shut down all their businesses christian family shut down all their businesses um and it's all everything is being bought online now but there is something a little freeing about that i read that um evan rachel heard uh god god rush his soul who very influential writer rachel, rachel held evans what did i say you said Rachel, Rachel, F, Rachel Evan Heard. So you were uh, Evan Rachel Wood, <laughs> Amber Heard. So yes, Rachel oh, helped. You can tell, like I get, I get podcast brain when I've been talking a long time, where like words just come out of my mouth and I don't know what they are. Rachel, Rachel held, Rachel held Evans. Um. I guess there is some controversy in the last few years before she had passed away. Rachel held Evans. Right. Where, last book. Right. So I, I guess there were, I guess Lifeway refused to carry any of her work. And what's interesting is that with the, like that, that, that would mean, and even though Rachel held Evans um, is a very influential or was a very influential writer, very popular writer. Um, you couldn't get it at these 200 or so stores, right? So the gatekeeping yep. has pretty much ended. Right. Yeah, she wound up she wound up uh, worshipping as an Episcopalian toward the end of her life. Interesting. I met her. She was really lovely. I met her I met her like maybe like four months before she died. She was really oh, lovely. Really. What was her book about? like because I, I, I don't know that much. I just know that she was. She she was her first book that she got most famous for was um well, it was her first book was um a year of biblical womanhood she took um A J Jacobs um um a year of uh, what was it a year of living biblically which is a very funny book where he tries to follow all hundred all oh, six hundred thirteen laws as literally as possible yeah um she did that same concept but as a woman so because the woman's laws of course are very different you know so she's like every time she's on her period she's like living in a tent in the backyard and all that. <laughs> It's short. My wife read it, so it's very funny. Um, but that got her really well known. And then she wrote, can't remember what some of her other books are off the top of my head. But um, she got very big on Twitter, and and really because of her because of her experience through a year of biblical womanhood, she you know talked about being a feminist and her feminism, mm-hmm. and um, and the um, and the people got really like the dude like the, the Calvinist dudes got pissed at her. Yeah. And she she really became like a target for Calvinist angry Calvinist men on Twitter, and she triggered them intentionally. It was very funny sometimes to watch. Um, 
but she also uh, she also came out in support not only of like women's ordination and women's stuff in the ministry, but also um, as an LGBTQ ally, and that was really what did it for her with Lifeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she wrote a book called Searching for Sunday. That's the other. That's her other big book. That was about her journey from her Baptist evangelical world into the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually excellent. It's an excellent book. Um, but yeah, this, the, the one I just showed though is inspired. It's her book about the Bible, and that was the book she was. She led a retreat at Bethesda by the Sea um, a couple of years ago uh-huh. um, that I was part of, and um, her talking about some of the materials in this book. And she and I got to geek out on Baptist culture a little bit nice. between sessions. Um, she's a really wonderful person, just a pure soul. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, like you said, the gatekeeping thing that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's just. It's it's an industry that's in the same boat as most industries right now, where the brick and mortar stuff is kind of going out of style, and people are, are leaving their homes less, and um, people are consuming differently. So you know, everyone's kind of like in the same boat of like, how do we adapt to that? And I don't know. I, th- I it could either be horrible or good. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I mean, in general, I think the move away from brick and mortar and tangible things is a bad idea. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, it's fascinating that as digitization has increased, loneliness and anxiety has also increased among our generation and younger. Um, I think there's something to being in spaces um, among other people in a flesh and blood way. Right. And I, I, the thing about the Christian bookstore, just, you know, in general is, and bookstores in general, I love going to Barnes and Noble. Um, me too. I, I like, Walden, the, I love going to a Walden books every now and then. Oh, for the nostalgia, <laughs> that magazine rack. But the thing is, is there's something, there's just something beautiful about, walking over to a shelf and picking up something and then and seeing someone else pick up the same thing and realize, Oh, there's another person that's into this that, just like I am. Right. You know, like when, um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Christian bookstore moments was at Long's when MXPX is slowly going the way of the Buffalo came out. Mm-hmm. I went right over to the MXPX section and the spot was empty and I was like, Oh man, like it sold out. And then I happened to glance around and somebody had bought, had picked one up and put it on the wrong shelf. And so it was like over somewhere else. So I snapped it up. And as I rounded the corner from the aisle, these other guys that were like skater dressed showed up and they were like, oh man, it's sold out. Like, and I wanted to brag, be like, I got it. <laughs> but it was just sort of a cool thing to be like, oh, cause like I, I was, other than my friend Josh and, my, and his brother John, we were really the only three people that I knew listened to MXPX. And so to know that there were other people out there searching for that same record, like there's just something about that was sort of reaffirming for that. Cause I felt, you know, in my fairly closed off church world that I was a weird, I was a freak. I was weird because, you know, I was asking questions that nobody else wanted to ask. And I was listening to music and, you know, I was, I was only one of a handful of skater kids at the time. And, you know, and so it was just sort of cool to go to a place and see, oh yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, the only other experience I had was like when I went to like to see like the Supertones in concert or something, and that's when I that's when I first like saw Christian Goths and stuff. I was sort of blown away by that. Yeah. Um, you know, so to know that there were spaces where you could find out that you weren't that weird. I take it back. There was like other people that shared in your kind of weird. Right. I like that. Um, and I think we lose that when we don't, you know, I think, I think, I think stores, malls, you know, outside is the Christian world. I think all of it is important. Um, and I think it's, and, it, and, it, and the only reason that they're going away is because these wealthy companies have realized that they make more money when they don't have to pay to keep the lights on right on physical stores and so we're just basically rewarding their greed and losing and losing valuable public spaces yeah where we are forced out of our silos yeah it's like what martin scorsese said he was comparing cinema to going to church and he said that ultimately you're trying to do the same thing which is to have a shared experience Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what we're losing in all of this. And it's, 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 I, I just think it's, it's interesting to me that it's not something, it's not necessarily something unique to its industry and that it's happening to everybody. And yet we still have a culture that feels like it should be separate from everything else. When it's like you're suffering the same fate all these other industries you say are evil <laughs> are suffering, you know, yeah. I feel like this would be a time for introspection for you. Right. Maybe probably not. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I mean, there's introspection, but I think, I mean, I can't speak for other denominations, but I think like when the Episcopal church was, we're struggling with our numbers. I think we're, we're, we're going, we're, we're, we're not asking the right questions. Yeah. Our tendency is to look at like, People like Starbucks, right? So let's try to like, what do they like about Starbucks? Community, all right, let's foster community. Well, it's like, well, they can already get that at Starbucks. They can already get, you know, they, social justice. People care about that. Well, yeah, they do, but they can also do that. They get that at school. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, um, you know. I think it's, you know, it's talking about Jesus and it's talking about Jesus in a way that connects a life with Jesus. The grand, the great mystery of the universe, as you like to put it. Mm-hmm. Um in a in a way that impacts people in their day-to-day lives and i just think that little little things you know like bookstores and whatnot i mean they're not perfect i mean i say all this knowing full you know addressing like the fact that they 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 closed out people like rachel held evans there's the the story that i sent you about um i can't remember her name right now but one of the first christian rock art uh, sort of christian rock artist women um martha stevens is that her name where they pretty much erased they, they erased her from Christian music history because she came out as a lesbian in the 80s. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I mean, so Jennifer Knapp, right? Jennifer Knapp came out as a lesbian and they pretty much, you know, she's persona non grata in the Christian recording world. You know, so there's there are horrible things that go on in that world with their gatekeeping tendencies and all of that. But like I said earlier, that's... If, if the church had, if the church was willing to look at these things as a feature rather than a bug, right? In terms of the fact that you might, I mean, oh my God, what if your child 
what if your child was to pick up a CD recorded by a Christian lesbian? Okay. That same person might also grab some book by some fundamentalist that reaffirms what you want and it could change them too. Like it goes both ways. Right. And, and I think that, you know, it, it just, it, it's sort of like its own weird, like it has the potential to be its own sort of like side sphere of what the church is all about, which is all kinds of people being welcomed into the family and that we aren't we aren't a monoculture. We're actually we're drawn from as as it says in the book of Revelation, you know, many language, you know, nations and peoples. Um so I don't know, it's like I said, I'm just I lament the loss of I lament the loss of things like the Christian bookstore. We we have one here in Honolulu, Logos Christian bookstore. Yeah. And it's fun. I like going in there, even though there's so much dreck. <laughs> um <laughs> It's fun to go in. It's fun to go in dressed like this, by the way, because they don't know what to do with me. <laughs> really, that's funny. But, um, but you know, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. You know. Well, um, I think it's a good place to end it. Yeah. Well, um, so let us know what you guys think. Uh, did you ever go to Christian bookstores? Did you ever find anything that you would classify as Jesus junk or a Christian curiosity? Um, I don't know what's what's the what is the most on brand thing you've ever found at a Christian store you that you could not find anywhere else. Maybe it was an Amish romance novel, which Chuck tells me you can get anywhere now. Apparently, it's... well, that that was the other piece we didn't talk about just as an aside. Like Barnes and Noble has a pretty robust Christian book section now, so yeah. Yeah. Like, that also affected these things. You can buy a lot of that stuff there. But yes, you can get your Christian romance novels. <laughs> Your Amish romance novels. I, I really want to do an episode on that bizarre genre because it's so weird to me. <laughs> it's so weird. It means I'd have to actually read one. Ah, uh, they've adapted him into like movies now. Oh no! <laughs> Great. Kana read one and she said it's. Oh man, she, I, I'll have to let. I'll share some other time her findings. It's 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 okay. good. It's good. All right, Father Chuck, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you're welcome so much for me being there and i want to thank our audience for listening and for watching and for all that stuff please 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 leave a like or a comment or something or subscribe or do whatever it is you do to show your love and support for your uh virtual friends yeah pretend that we're the christian bookstore and let us know that you're out there sharing in our kind of weird yeah buy one of our clado rings <laughs> i might have bought a clado ring for a girl at the inspiration house Oh, is that the is that the heart hand? Yeah, the hands holding the heart with a crown. Join us again next week. Please have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. Hey, Mod Squad, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't yet, be sure to check us out and subscribe to our social media accounts. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Masters Divinity. That's Masters of Divinity without the of, and on Instagram at Masters of Divinity. And Facebook, I'm sure if you just search for the Masters of Divinity podcast, you can find us there. Also, if you want to become a patron and throw a little monthly donation our way, uh, we would appreciate some fundage. It all goes back into the show, of course, to increase the production value. Uh, so just go to patreon.com slash masters of divinity and just choose a tier list. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that. So thank you. Also, if you'd like to see uh, the highlights from this episode in video form, check out our YouTube channel. 
Just search for the Masters of Divinity podcast and be sure to subscribe to get all your Masters of Divinity video needs on YouTube. Again, thanks so much for listening and good journey.